namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Well, today is the new moon day, and uh, it's coming towards the end of the three months of the rains retreat, the Vasa period. This is the last two weeks of the um, the Vasa uh, remaining. And uh, this morning at our, our breakfast time gathering, I was uh, mentioning some of Lumpur Sumedho's teachings that I found particularly helpful, illuminating. Um, so I, I thought I might expand a little upon that uh, th uh, this this evening to pick up that same theme. The encouragement uh, of uh, Lumpur Sumedho I was referring to earlier today, some of you were there, some of, some of you were not, uh, was uh, how he would point out that we uh, customarily, very uh, habitually, uh, commonly, very naturally frame the experience of our life in, yeah, I am a person, this is my body, this is my name, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm old, I'm young, I'm tall, I'm short, I have this nationality, I'm so many years old, this is my career, my qualifications, my problems, my responsibilities, this is my story. And uh, this is the way that we very easily uh, go through life. And we, we organize things in the monastery, have sign-up sheets, and <laughs> uh, put, your, put your name down for the washing up rotor and uh, you know, to... Uh, uh, to have your name on the board for the transport needs over the next week. So we, we live with these conventions here, that uh, we have uh, a monastic uh, discipline of the, the nuns, the monks, the different uh, levels of ordination, the, the resident lay people, the different precepts that people have determined and uh, are using to, to live by as a set of guidelines. So these conventions of, of our life, our world, uh, are uh, very deeply entrenched and very ordinary to us. And um, and so what uh, I found so helpful uh, many years ago and continually in the, uh, in the uh, teachings of Lumpur Sumedha, what he would emphasize over and over is how we, we unconsciously have this paradigm of, you know, I am this person and I have... These, uh, this story, uh, I have these problems, and this is uh, my responsibility, my my uh, work to to be this person and to do this stuff, to take care of these these duties and to to deal with my problems. And we don't question that paradigm, that that framework for this moment uh, of uh, of our experience. I am sitting here giving a Dhamma talk, or you are sitting there listening to a Dhamma talk. Here we are at Amravati. We use these names, this sense of location, these identities, uh, and we don't realize that it's a framework that the mind is creating. Uh, 
of identity, of time, of location, uh, and that uh, this is a created set of, of conditions. And uh, as long as the mind believes in those creations, as long as we take those to be absolute realities, you know, this is my body, this is my personality, this is who and what I am, absolutely and completely, then right there we're creating dukkha, right there is the experience of alienation, separation, insecurity, uh, and dukkha, suffering, dissatisfaction, right there in that, that very formulation. So uh, uh, what I was uh, reminding us of, uh, or introducing earlier today, is that paradigm shift, changing the paradigm from me and my life, me and my story, me and my problems, to here is the Buddha mind seeing the way things are. Here's the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. Here's the awake, aware quality of the jitta, uh, attending to the experience of the present, the, the uh, awake, aware quality of, of this mind of ours. Uh, uh, every single one of us uh, as a living being has this capacity to be awake, to be aware, to, to know and to know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, the, the patterns of, uh, of perception, the experiential field of the present moment. This is what is known. So that uh, that shift uh, of view, that changing the framework of experience from me and, my, me and my life or me and my problems to here is the awake mind seeing the way things are, it, it shifts the view from a self-centered perspective to a, a Dhamma-centered perspective or, or a nature-centered perspective. Uh, but, uh, and it's not as though it's just wishful thinking or, or trying to look uh, upon things in a, in a positive light or just uh, tacking on a, an extra idea, sort of a, a, a spiritual hope um, or wish, uh, wishful thinking. But uh, what is being pointed to is that uh, this is closer to the reality. <laughs> It's the me uh, of being a, a, an individual, independent, living human being who has this name and this story and uh, this identity and this name. Uh, that's the accretion, that's the extra layer, that's the sort of set of, of additions and is further away from the, the actuality. And uh, when those layers of, of, uh, of accretion, uh, things that have been stuck on the outside uh, and uh, overlaid the reality when they fall away or they're peeled away, then what lies beneath, what, what is closer to the, the center of, of things, closer to the reality is here's awareness of the present moment. And right now, this isn't just imagination or just sort of something that I'm uh, putting into these words, but right now, if every single one of us, I'm not reading anybody's mind, but this is how it is for each one of us. There's the awareness of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, remembering, imagining, uh, woven together into uh, into the form of here is uh, the Sunday evening on the on New Moon Day at Amravati on the 25th of September 2022. That's this experience, and it's put together, naming the day, 
the place, uh, the the situation, it, it's pieced together from those building blocks of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, memory, language, uh, and imagination. It puts it together and says, it's this. It's compounded. If I close my eyes, you vanish. If I open my eyes, everyone's here again. Yeah. If we block our ears up, then we stop hearing the talk. If we or unplug the hearing aids, you know, then we don't hear the talk. If we, if we open up our ears or plug the hearing aids back in again, then we hear once more. So that fabricated, compounded uh, quality of experience and identity is what uh, this teaching is pointing to. Now that uh, quality of knowing uh, or awareness goes by a few different names. So in, in those of you who are familiar with uh, Ajahn Chah's teachings and seeing the English translations or those of you who speak Thai can understand the Thai language know that there's a, a, a term Puru uh, which is quite commonly used in, in Thai. Puru comes from the Pali word Purisa which means a person and Ru mean, is the verb to know. So. Uh, uh, often in uh, Ajahn Chah's teachings that's translated into the one who knows um, but uh, often that uh, 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 say rendering it as the one who knows it, it can give a sense of there's a little kind of entity sitting in, inside our, our head a little what they call a, a homunculus uh, it's kind of an, an inner little me that's that's the 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 the, uh, the kind of video camera inside our, our head that's doing the knowing but uh, it's not really a one who knows, but more an, an element, a uh, quality of knowing. So uh, so some people in Thailand think Ajahn Buddha Dasa uh, in the past, also Ajahn Jayasara nowadays, rather than using the term Puru, like the, the one who knows, or they use uh, Dhatru, dha, uh, coming from the Pali word Dhatu, meaning element. If we were chanting the, the basis of insight, the Vipassana Bhumi Kata, the verses on the basis of insight, so the, those, the dhatu, uh, chaku dhatu, the eye element, rupa dhatu, the form element, chaku vijnana dhatu, the, the eye consciousness element. So the element of knowing uh, is, uh, I feel, is closer to the a clear and accurate rendering of it. And in the Pali language, uh, I like the term vijja dhatu, so that the element of awakened awareness, vijja, meaning that very awake, aware quality, that capacity of the, the heart, of the jitta. So vijja dhatu is that awake, aware quality. When we are developing vipassana meditation, like the, the, in that, that chant that we were doing, it's called the vipassana bhumikata, the basis of insight, the purpose of insight meditation is the, clarif uh, the, the clarification, the, 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 the uh, uncluttering, the decluttering <laughs> of that uh, capacity of awareness from its usual clutter, the, the clutter of I am thinking, I am feeling, I remember, I'm excited, I'm depressed, you know, I'm hungry, uh, this is you know, my body, my feelings, my, my robes, my, my cushion, my, my living place. The um, Vipassana meditation is about decluttering the, the habits of perception from all of that I and me and mine 
and the the false solid the false solidity and the false permanence that the mind so easily gives to objects or our uh, our our life our story our our personality and so on so insight meditation is aimed at looking at these very habits that the the existent paradigm the existent um, perceptions of i'm the body i'm the personality and challenging that uh, to to look at all of those different uh, identities and uh, the the i ams that that crop up that seem so, so so convincing so so real so substantial uh, in the the teachings and also in within western psychology they uh, there are different kinds of self delusion or the uh, perceptions of self or, or creations of self that are, are highlighted so there's the owning self the feeling of i i'm the owner of this body or i'm the the uh, the owner of the these uh, these robes uh, so that sense of owning i am the owner this belongs to me there's, a, there's an i here that does the owning of things or of memories or of ideas or of emotions that these are mine that sense of of uh, of mindness and uh, uh, that uh, uh, the Pali word mama means mine. So in the, the Buddha's teaching on, on not self, the Anatalakana Sutta, uh, he, he points out this perception of etang mama. This is mine. Um, that is is delusory. Is uh, is a false perception. Uh, uh, this is what I am. So that that's the the being self. I am alive. I am experiencing. I am a man, or I am a woman. I am uh, I am British, or I am American, or I'm Thai, or French, or German, or Italian, or Malaysian, or uh, there's uh, that sense of being uh, that being self, and then the. Um, Esomeata uh, uh, is the, the the what you can think of as the narrative self. When people say, "Well, well, who are you?" It's like the the name that we give, or our occupation, our livelihood, our our address, the kind of our story. And that these are all ways that the mind creates a sense of self, of owning, of being, of of our own personal story, personal history. And in that, these many teachings, and particularly in that. Uh, second discourse of the Buddha, the Anatalakana Sutta, he points out you know, and, uh, that when we look at uh, the, the things that we usually take to be who and what we are, the body, feelings, perceptions, uh, ideas, me emotions, memories, uh, uh, our moods, and uh, and consciousness itself, he points out, ne tang mama, ne so hamasmi, ne so me ata. This is not mine, this is not what I am, this is not myself, this is not really who and what I am. So that uh, the purpose of uh, inside meditation then is highlighting those habits, challenging them, using the, the uh, that awake aware quality of the jitta, strengthening that, okay, to um, empowering that, putting that to work. So that it highlights those those perceptions, so, and so that uh, when that's used, then and, and we are we are really 
working uh, to develop that quality of insight, then it's recognized that which knows all those personal qualities of being uh, old, being young, being tall, being short, being a woman, being a man, being transgendered or being uh, 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 British or American or, or uh, French or German, Italian, Australian, Malaysian, whatever it might be. You know, that is, doesn't have a gender, it doesn't have an age, doesn't have a name, uh, it's not a person. That which, and I like to use this phrase as a, as a way of reflecting, that which knows the person isn't a person. That which knows uh, Theravada Buddhism is not Buddhist. <laughs> that which knows the monk's life is not, is, not, is not a monk. That which knows Ajahn Amaro isn't Ajahn Amaro. You know? That which knows Amravati, uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, uh, is not defined by that or limited by that or doesn't own that. So that quality of awakened awareness, that vijjadatu, it's it's the very center of our of it's the very locus of experience. It's the the the, the means through which all experiencing happens. But and the, those personal qualities of our our story, our our age, our name, our livelihood, and all the pleasant and painful things of of our life have been experienced through that that agency of awareness, but that awareness it isn't tied or isn't limited by any of those events or perceptions or identities. It knows the personal, but it's not a person. So when, uh, uh, and I think this morning I was quoting uh, Lumpur Sumedho in, in one of the statements he would use very often and when he was teaching here in earlier years, he said, you're not a mortal being. If you, as soon as the, the mind believes that I am, I'm a person, I was born, I'm going to die. As soon as the mind takes that as an absolute reality, there's dukkha right there. That you're not a mortal being. Uh, that's not what, that's not who, who and what we are. All those teachings on, you know, the body is not self, rupang anatta. The body is not self. The body is mortal. The body was born and the body will die, but rupang anatta, the body is not self. So what's birth and death got to do with anything real? Uh, and then also uh, he would go on to say, you're not an immortal being either. <laughs> say, oh, I'm not a mortal being, therefore I'm an immortal being. <laughs> That's what I am. But uh, as the Buddha pointed out, there's a very beautiful, very powerful statement that the, the Buddha makes in, uh, recorded in the, the Udana, the inspired utterances of the Buddha. Just uh, from his own reflections, his internal reflections just after is enlightenment where he, he says um, any kind of being uh, uh, any kind of being uh, any any place anywhere is impermanent pain haunted and subject to change one who sees this as it is about, uh, let's go of craving for being without relishing non-being that's a, a very, very direct, very powerful teaching to me. So that uh, uh, you can find that in the Udana, in like the th third chapter of the Udana. Just, uh, just after the Buddha's enlightenment, it's not even spoken out loud. I think it was just an internal reflection that he, then he quoted and passed on to others later on. But that was his reflection. Any kind of conceiving, any kind of being, any sort of independent born entity of any kind, <laughs> uh, even a, an, a, the idea of an immortal being, any kind of being uh, of any type, anywhere, is impermanent, pain-haunted, 
and subject to change. Uh, one who sees this as it is abandons the craving for being without relishing non-being. <laughs> so let's go of bhavatanha, the craving for being, without relishing, without clinging to vibhavatanha, to, to the desire to, to not be. So that's a very subtle quality. That's a very um, a, uh, hard to imagine quality, but it is also around that time was where the, the newly awakened Buddha was considering there's no one can, that can understand this, there's no point in me teaching, that no one's going to get this, because this you know, abandoning craving for being without relishing non-being, where, where is that? What's that? <laughs> Moving out of one place but not being established any other place. But, uh, or like Ajahn Shah would talk about, say, if you're uh, we talk about the, uh, the the lower story, this ground floor being a, a place where we can stand, and then the upper story of the of the building, a place where we can stand. But in between those two stories, we, we can't stand. There's no place to stand. And Nibbana is exactly that no uh, no place to stand place, <laughs> the the place of no abiding. So it's hard to imagine that quality or to even talk about it or conceive it but that's what is being aimed at uh, in terms of the development of, of insight letting go of any kind of identity any kind of defined being and uh, without uh, dwelling or moving towards aversion or rejection or or, or negativity or switching off There's also um, a related teaching, I would say, that uh, I, I like to reflect on, which is bhava nirodho nibbanang, the cessation of becoming, the ending of bhava. That is, that is nibbana. That's the great peace. So uh, it's not a, a, a. Sometimes people misinterpret the the Buddha's teaching when he talks about letting go of existence or not being attached to existence. And they think, oh, the Buddha is a nihilist, or oh, he's really into extinction. He just wants to everything to be to be wiped out. But I feel it's extremely important to reflect on that, to abandon the craving for being, without relishing non-being. <laughs> There's two parts to that. So it's not an annihilationism. And when and when the Buddha was challenged on this, he said, those who say I teach the annihilation of an existent being, uh, they are misquoting me. They misunderstand me. They misunderstand me. They misrepresent me. That's not what I teach. It's not what I, I'm proposing. And so it's a subtle quality, but what it's it's pointing to is freeing that awakened awareness that is a, a timeless present quality from a false identification with any thing that is uh, that is beginning and ending an idea a body uh, some possessions uh, uh, an emotion uh, any sense of, of defined located identity is let go of and that process of, of letting go is what our, our practice say is formed around and then even though that might sound like a very sort of edgeless and formless and, and undefined I mean, it is un it is undefined <laughs> The effect of that, rather than making us sort of useless or uh, incapable of functioning in the world, if we take the example of the Buddha's life or the, the great enlightened beings, the, the Buddha, uh, after his enlightenment, uh, lived an extraordinarily creative and effective life, establishing the teachings, establishing the monastic order, the lay, 
community and the set of teachings that have managed to survive for 2,600 years, which is you know, it's, uh, amazing that this is all held together in such a coherent and helpful form for so long. So uh, in all of this, then, the, the, uh, the focus or the, 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 uh, the center of attention in terms of developing insight and freeing the heart is looking at self-view, the sense, I'm the body, I'm the personality. And in, the, in many of the teachings, this is uh, referred to uh, as the, the first of the ten fetters. Uh, a fetter is like a handcuffs or a chains or shackles, manacles, sort of things that, that tie you down or, or can imprison you. So that the, the Buddha high, uh, uh, sketched out or highlighted these ten fetters in increasing levels of, of subtlety um, that are the things that, that shackle the heart, that, that tie the heart down, that create a false sense of limitation on the heart. And the, the, the first of these, very, 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 uh, very first on the list is Sakaya Ditti, self-view, which uh, Lumpur Sumedha would very, uh, think very accurately and helpfully summarizes. It's the belief, I'm the body, I'm the personality, this is who and what I am, this is all what I am. That belief, that is Sakaya Ditti, and uh, that's the, uh, that sense of, uh, uh, and in the, in the very word itself, it, it tells you what it means. Sat means true or real. Kaya is the body. Ditti is view. So the the view of the real person or the the the, the view of the, the real body. doesn't mean to say these, these bodies aren't uh, something they're experienced or that they're not alive, but it's taking this body to be something uh, that's absolutely real and permanent and uh, and who and what we are, which uh, the body, our body is in a state of change. We've been here together in the, the temple here at Amravati. It's now just after nine o'clock, so we've been here for about an hour and a half at least. So we've all been breathing in and breathing out. So whether it's uh, whether we want to think about it or not, we've all breathed in particles of each other's bodies, I would say, to, to some degree, <laughs> which is uh, probably a little bit nauseating or a bit challenging for some people. But we're, we're shedding skin and carbon dioxide and uh, and moisture all the time and then we're all breathing in uh, and breathing out uh, all the time so that during the course of the last of the last hour and a half we've shed enough uh, bits of, of moisture and skin and other people have been breathing them in so the body that we had when we came into this temple is not the same as the body that's sitting here right now and our, our bodies have have, uh, have changed and have also exchanged elements to some degree, I would suggest, to uh, uh, during the last hour and a half. So this is one of the, the ways you can reflect on, well, the, you know, this body, is, it's, to call it mine, is a convenient fiction. It's just a, a, an, an informal way of conveniently referring to a set of experiences. It's, you know, my body is not Ajahn Vimalo's body, but I'm sitting here, he's sitting there, but we, we have necessarily been exchanging moisture and carbon dioxide and oxygen and a few skin cells and such like. So whether we like to think about it or not, I would say that's the, the biological, the, the, the scientific uh, reality. So that insight into not self uh, 
is a way of of holding up a magnifying glass to the body, the personality, and think, well, yes, uh, in terms of a conventional truth, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I'm I am Ajahnamaro as a conventional truth, but that's that can't possibly be absolutely true. It's uh, to say I'm the body, I'm the personality. That can be a, only be a half truth or a convenient fiction, uh, a uh, an agreed designation uh, that people say uh, use to refer to a particular set of experiences and perceptions. That's all. So that that um, that's number one, fetter number one, samyojana number one on the list, and uh, that's that's a big challenge. But uh, if that can be uh, explored and, and examined, and the that fundamentally conditioned and empty nature of the personality and the the body, if that can be recognised, then that's a, the first breaking, uh, the the breaking of that first fetter, that first set of manacles or chains can can fall away, and. Uh, that uh, is a—it's an important insight, and I feel it's not even necess necessarily something that you, we have to have a very profound state of concentration, or or, um, or even even have heard of Buddhism or, or meditation. Uh, I think for probably most of us in our lifetimes, there have been times where that sense of identity fell away through different circumstances. And when uh, talking with people, looking at my own life and talking with, with, uh, with many, many people over the years, it's, it's really quite common that when you're a child or sometimes a teenager or growing up, there was a moment where the, the usual self-creating habits just got interrupted by, by something. And uh, whether this is a... I remember one one person I know. She when she was a, she was a Christian nun, um, and that she said when she was a little girl, just about five or six years old, she was sitting on the staircase at her home. She was just um, waiting for uh, uh, waiting for something to to be uh, starting uh, down below. She was waiting for her her mum to call her and her brothers and sisters for supper or something of that nature. She was just sitting on the stairs, quote unquote, not doing anything, <laughs> and then this, there was this uh, falling away of of her her name and her identity and uh, who she was and what she was, and it was uh, everything was very peaceful, very clear, and you know, she was only five or six years old. But it, uh, and she said, "What what would you think that was?" Ajahnamaro. <laughs> And I, I say, well, in, in Buddhist terminology, we would say that's an experience of not-self. That uh, the usual um, habits of self-creation uh, just stopped uh, uh, stopped operating for a moment. It was not me not doing anything. And probably if most of us gathered here this evening, we can look back at our lives often when it, we weren't. Sometimes it's on a meditation retreat and with a great deal of effort. Oftentimes, just sort of random times when we were a child or we found ourselves alone. Arjun Sumato had a, an experience of this when he was uh, on shore leave from the U.S. Navy. Uh, he was having a miserable time as a, a sailor in the U.S. Navy. And he was on shore leave in, in San Diego. And he went for a, a hike in the hills. And, uh, and when he was alone walking through the, the, the hills in Southern California, then the same kind of experience uh, happened at this this 
his sense of time, his sense of identity, his name, his whole sort of story just fell away for a moment. And he doesn't, he said, when he's talking about it, he couldn't be sure whether it was for a minute or for an hour or several hours, just time stopped and things just went extremely peaceful and clear. And that, that wasn't, he wasn't trying to do anything or get anything, but uh, uh, I would say that's where the habits of Sakayaditi have just switched off or been unplugged for a time. And, yeah, looking back on my own life, uh, times where uh, I remember when uh, one summer during when, when I was a, a college student, I've been traveling, hitchhiking around in the Mediterranean with uh, some friends and I'd left the, the rest of the group and I was on Corsica and just hitchhiking up the, the west coast of Corsica and I found myself at this isolated area and just sort of took off from the, the road and went to camp down on, on a beach just completely by myself uh, to had a bit of food and a small backpack and and just camped on this this beach by myself for about three days and it was probably the first time in my life that i had been by myself without any other people around for that length of time and after having sort of got myself sorted and found a place to to um to put a ground sheet and such like then just uh, spending time there there was a sense of well what am i if i'm not functioning in relationship to other people <laughs> what about my my stories what about you know, what we're doing and there isn't anybody to tell stories to there isn't anything to be doing there's just the sand and the, the sea and the rocks and the sky and here it is and it was that same kind of, of uh, i wouldn't necessarily call it a mystical experience it was quite eerie in some ways like oh the the the, the patterns of self-creation just didn't have any any fuel there wasn't anything to 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 be a me for <laughs> the, the rocks didn't need me to respond to them or the 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 sand and the seashells were just they were just sitting there uh, being what they are uh, forming the substance of the beach the the, the tide came in the tide went out the, the waves uh, rolled in the sky was bright and in the daytime and dark and star filled at night that's it <laughs> and uh, the that sense of the absence of any kind of need for a human reference point it, it was it was very obvious it, it wasn't an, an idea or a, something that i sort of thought my way to but it's just when there isn't a lot of other people to create yourself out of or in relationship to then what are you <laughs> When we're all alone and there's nothing to do, that personing doesn't really apply. The, the, we don't need a mask, a, per, a persona, to interface with uh, other people, other things. We don't need to to be a person. Um, and uh, so it's often these kind of experiences occur when there aren't other people around, when we're by ourselves. And I would say that it's very, uh, very common, a natural human experience. Uh, so we all know that insight into not-self. <laughs> we all know, the, I would say, uh, for, for most of us, if we, we look back through our memories, there's some, some moment, some point where the, the I, me and mind-making just switched off and it didn't apply. It can be really freaky. It can, that sense of, of well, if I'm not this, if, if, I'm, if this 
identity, this personality, this this person is not really anything substantial. What am I? And uh, another time uh, uh, around that same era, I remember looking in the mirror and uh, seeing my face in the mirror and it just was not my face. It wasn't anybody else's face. <laughs> it was the, the, the configuration was as per usual, but I couldn't get any meanness into that image in the mirror. There was, there was no person there. So, and that was, uh, at that time, that, that was really weird and, and freaked, uh, uh, freaked me out quite considerably. I had no reference point for that. So it was, uh, was that a clear sense of, well, that's, that image in the mirror really hasn't got anything to do with anything real. <laughs> it's my face, technically, but what's this experience of, of knowing or, or, or being got to do with that hairy thing in the mirror? <laughs> there was no connection. So at that, at that moment, that, at that point, which I think was a little bit earlier than the experience in Corsica, uh, I was really freaked out. I thought, if I'm not that, what am I? <laughs> so I being English, I thought, put the kettle on. <laughs> if in doubt, make a cup of tea. <laughs> it's kind of the default way of dealing with uh, dukkha and disintegration of the universe, put the kettle on. Yeah, so. uh, <laughs> did help. <laughs> So, uh, so that uh, that's the first feta um, uh, is exactly that that for uh, seeing the empty nature of the body, the personality, seeing that's not who and what we are. Rupang anatta, the body is not self. Vedana anatta, sanya anatta, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self. Sankara anatta, mental formations, our ideas, our choices, our emotions. They're not really completely who and what we are. They're experienced here. They're known within the, the sphere of this awareness, but they they don't really have an owner. They don't. They're not absolutely and completely who and what we are. Those personal qualities are known by that vijja datu, that element of knowing of awareness. Those personal qualities are known, but they're not really a person. I would say. That which knows the person isn't a person. So the, the second of the fetters is called uh, skeptical doubt, vichikicha. And uh, this is uh, sometimes mis misunderstood or different interpretations, but uh, the, the vichikicha, the doubt, which is that second fetter, it's not like doubt about whether you should have a second slice of toast uh, at breakfast or, <laughs> or whether you should go for a, a walk now or later or, or how, how long you should meditate for. Uh, it, it's a particular aspect of, of doubting, which is a doubt about what is the path and what is not the path. So that's really it's quite specific what that, uh, that fetter is. Um, so it's not just a mind in a, in a questioning mode, but it's really... Uh, that uh, uncertainty about what is the path to liberation, what's the path to, to enlightenment, what's the, the, path, the, the means whereby the heart can genuinely be freed. So uh, I feel that's helpful to understand that that's the second fetter. And then the, the breaking of that fetter is that going, what we call in the in sort of Buddhist jargon, uh, getting beyond doubt. Uh, it's not just being decisive about what you want for breakfast or... <laughs> your routine, getting beyond doubt, 
uh, is knowing uh, what the path is. It's like the you uh, you have got an inner certainty, a, a familiarity, as a, a knowing. Just like when you put uh, when you put a pair of shoes, you put your shoes on. You know they fit. It's not. There's no doubt about it. It's it's a, it's, it's not conceptual. It's not theoretical. It, you, you know, you know <laughs> these shoes fit. So that going beyond doubt, uh, in terms of that second fetter, is knowing what the path is, and uh, the um, uh, and and the way of this describing it, I feel that the, the probably the best uh, way of of, of uh, say uh, summarizing what the, that the path is and and what needs uh, what needs to be understood in relationship to that. Was the uh, the di or the uh, dialogue or the dhamma talk that the Venerable Ajahn Man gave when uh, when uh, Ajahn Chah was a, a young monk uh, in his wandering years? So Ajahn Chah had been a, a bhikkhu for about um, nine or ten years by this time. Uh, it was um, in Lumpur Man's latter years, and uh, Ajahn Chah had. Uh, Gone to to see him at uh, when he was living. Uh, Lumpuman was living at uh, Wat Nong Pur, I think, uh, in Sakonakorn province. And uh, Ajahn Chah only stayed with him for three days, and, um, but it was a very illuminating and powerful uh, period. And uh, he described how the different teachings that Lumpuman gave during that period. And uh, I think it was on the third evening, the last the last day he was there. Um, when this particular teaching that that uh, Lumpuman gave, which was that he said there there is necessarily uh, a quality of awareness, uh, a quality of knowing that is transcendent of the five khandhas, that, that is liberated uh, from the five khandhas of of the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, the, the five groups or the five sections of of experience, the material form, the body, rupa, and then the mental, uh, the mental groups of feeling, perce uh, perception, mental formations, consciousness. So there, necessarily, there's a quality of, of knowing, of awareness that tra is transcendent of the five khandhas. If there wasn't, liberation would be impossible. If every kind of knowing, every kind of cognition or awareness was within the the five khandhas was something that was impermanent and and, uh, and unsatisfactory. Then liberation would be impossible. Enlightenment would be impossible. There couldn't be a Buddha. There couldn't be uh, an enlightened, a liberated being. But because we uh, knowing there are enlightened beings, and because of of his own Man's own experience of, uh, of of the mind. He said, "There, there is necessarily this transcendent quality uh, that knows the five khandhas and is not limited by the five khandhas. That's transcendent over the five khandhas." And as the young Ajahn Chah heard that, it just you know the, the lights came on, and he realized that's absolutely right. That that's the path. That's that clarifying of that awareness. That's the path. That's what needs to be done, and. And uh, when pe people asked him, well, how come you only stayed with, with uh, Venerable Ajahn Man for three days? And he he, he uh, would res respond with words like, well, you know, if you've been in the dark and the light comes on, you don't need to stay near the light switch, you know, the, the light's on. So you you, you don't need to uh, to just be 
staying close to where the light came from, but because the you know the lights the lights on, that kind of language or that kind of description was the way he would talk about that. So that uh, uh, I feel is is a helpful way of understanding. That that's uh, to be beyond doubt about. That's what needs to be done. Everything else is is uh, I would say. Uh, secondary to that in terms of the work that we are doing in meditation and what we gather together for in a place like Amaravati where we shave our heads, put on these robes, take the precepts and put our effort into living together, working together and uh, using the capacities of our lives that right at the very centre is this, uh, the, this work of freeing the heart's uh, awareness from those uh, those habits of, uh, of attachment, identification, and grasping, and and witnessing, knowing the the effect of that that awareness when that when the heart embodies that awake aware quality and knows this is just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, uh, and all that arises passes away, and it's not self. Then, when the heart really knows that and is uh, say. Uh, embodying that realization, then there's a, a, a great peace, there's a great freedom, there's a great ease, there's a, an invulnerability, a, a profound security. The heart is embodying that which is unshakable, that which is can't be disturbed, that which knows perceptions can't be disturbed by those perceptions ultimately. So then, the, the third of the the samyojana, the fetters, uh, and these these first three uh, are, are the, the the fetters the, or the cha the shackles, the, the chains that need to be shed or broken if, in order for stream entry to be realized, or the the, the irreversible insight of, of stream entry, the breakthrough to to um, the realization of of the death of uh, the deathless element, the amata datu. Uh, the third one is attachment to conventions. Often this is translated as attachment to rites and rituals, and, and so descriptions of it often focus around belief in particular spiritual um, ideas, like uh, if you bathe in the river Ganges, then your, your bad karma will be purified, or if you recite a mantra so many times, then you will be protected from all difficulty and, and so on. Uh, but uh, Lumpur Cha would always emphasize that it's, it's not just to do with religious procedures and rules and, and rituals, but it's you know, all the conventions that we live with. It's like taking those conventions to be uh, uh, more solid, more real, and, um, and more absolute than they, they really are. And that uh, so the conventions that we live with are human agreements, and, but we forget that. We think that, uh, uh, that the... Uh, um, uh, the customs that we have in our in our country, the the, the kind of the forms of sort of cultural do's and don'ts are, are, you know, this is the way you should <laughs> you should dress. You know, this is this is the way that you should say hello to people. Uh, this is what uh, and a very good example that he would use was about money. I think it was an excellent example now with Queen Elizabeth having passed away on the eighth of September. They're about to change the paper currency, so. Um, the uh, what's now pieces of, of paper or plastic. I think most of the money is plastic nowadays. Uh, with the with Queen Elizabeth's face on the twenty pound notes and the fifty pound notes. I was just reading 
in the news today. They've only got about another week of being valid currency. So um, in about a week, or, a week or two's time, a fifty-pound note or a twenty-pound note that'll be good for for um, putting in the bottom of the waste paper basket. <laughs> the uh, it, it won't be valid currency anymore. Now it's worth twenty pounds or fifty pounds. This particular rectangle with coloured shapes on it, it's worth fifty pounds or twenty pounds in a couple of weeks' time. It won't be worth anything. It'll just be a piece of plastic or a piece of paper because of the human agreements and, and right and actually I, didn't, I think they still do but back in the days when I used to handle money more than 40 years ago <laughs> then pound notes or 10 shilling notes or five pound notes 10 pound notes they they actually stated the on the note that it's an agreement I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of one pound or five pounds ten pounds it's a promise it's an agreement so right there it's a it's a samuti sacha it's a conventional truth it's a an agreement. So being able to recognize those conventions as conventions, uh, and uh, in Lumpur Chao's very wonderful Dhamma talk that's being given the title uh, Convention and Liberation, one of the, the talks in his collected teachings, it begins with the words, all the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation. Having established them, we get lost in them giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion. So that, uh, which, <laughs> right there, that's kind of one of those sentences that you could just sit on that for a week or a month. And, it, and then you use that as a as a, a lens to look at, at the, the conventions that we have, you know, the robes that we wear, you know, this is, this is what this is what the Theravada Buddhist monk's robe should be like, and this is what the Sangati over the should be like it should be folded in this way it should be over the left shoulder if i came out and sat up on on the dhamma seat with my sangati over my over my right my left shoulder instead of my right shoulder oh they got the picture back to front <laughs> but no no the robe should be over your left shoulder not your right shoulder so we have these conventions but to recognize well it's just a shoulder it's just a piece of cloth you know we have an agreement we do it this way but it's only a human agreement that that's it's not anything absolute. So the, the mind that can recognize that conventions are just conventions and there's no solid uh, actuality there, uh, but this is uh, put together and called beautiful or right or wrong or ugly and uh, according to our human agreements and perceptions, then again, there's a, there's a freeing of the heart. And so when those those three sets of limitations or, shack or shackles, uh, the, those uh, fetters are broken when they fall away, then that is uh, what is in, in Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist teaching is known as uh, the breakthrough, the abhisamaya, that's the irreversible point of, uh, of uh, insight or understanding that when the, that those have really been broken and, and, uh, and not just sort of, uh, of understood conceptually what the what those fetters are but actually they're known and and seen uh, seen through and they've fallen away completely then that's uh, called the the breakthrough or the uh, the the, uh, the entering of the stream a pali word abhisamaya or sotapati and the buddha highlighted this as a a, a a goal not just for monastics but for lay people this is uh, a, a doable goal, an achievable goal. 
and that uh, that is something that I, I feel is very, very worthwhile, very, uh, let's see, skillful and, and appropriate for us uh, to aim at in our life in terms of life goals, what, what we want to do with our life or what we want to achieve in the world. I would say that uh, it's not, un, it's not um, being over optimistic or, or, or inflated or foolish to be thinking, no, this is a potential that we all have. This is something to aim towards. This is a really good retirement plan. <laughs> Sotapati, you really want a good, uh, a comfortable retirement, make the breakthrough. <laughs> Whether you've got money or a place to live is kind of secondary. But, uh, if that that's uh, you will be really i would say you will be really fine if that the, the breakthrough has been made and the buddha made many analogies as one set of teachings in the collected connected discourses called the the um, connected discourses on the on the breakthrough the abhisamaya the first teaching in that is called the fingernail and it describes how the buddha reached down and scratched the ground and so held up his finger and said do you see the dirt under my fingernail? And the monks that were there said, yes, Venerable Sir, we see the dirt under your fingernail. He says, what do you think is more, the dirt under my fingernail or the great earth itself? It's what they call a rhetorical question. <laughs> Doesn't really need an answer. Venerable Sir, the, the amount of dirt under your fingernail is very small. The great earth is very large. And he said, so, so too, the amount of suffering that one who has made the breakthrough can expect to experience is comparable to the dirt under my fingernail. The suffering that one who has not made the breakthrough can expect to experience is comparable to the great earth. So the, the Buddha was a genius at coming up with these kind of very uh, impactful images that uh, reach the heart and uh, get the message across. And then similarly says, what do you think is greater, Venerables? Uh, the uh, five grains of, of uh, uh, you know, five grains of sand? Or the or the Himalayan mountain range, or venerable sir, five grains of sand is very small in quantity, but the great Himalaya mountain range is very large. And so on and so forth. These comparisons of something that's very very small to something that's very very large. So it's it's very worthwhile. But uh, going back to the <laughs> the the theme of bhavatana, the desire to become, the desire to to get rid of. So in making this uh, uh, this kind of statement or, or say encouraging this aspiration, so the Pali word for aspiration is patana. As having an aspiration is not the same as having a uh, self-centered desire. So like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to achieve. The, uh, the, uh, the I am that's in that sentence gives you a clue like, wait, 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 hang on, <laughs> hang on. That's Bhavatana co-opting the, uh, the, the, uh, the aspiration. There can be an aspiration, there can be a, a direction given, an effort made completely free of self-view. So in, in setting that as, a, as an aim to recognize and to know those, uh, those first three fetters, to know them, to, to do the necessary work for them to be broken and hard to be freed of those, that intention and that effort uh, can all be completely free of of the of self view and, and the, the craving to 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 become or the craving to get rid of defilements and and the fetters. You know, I've got to get rid of my fetters. <laughs> I've got to become a stream enterer. 
that that's right there you've got the, the desire to become and the desire to get rid of have, have co-opted the system like a like a, a, a subtle coronavirus the the, the bhava virus or sleeps in, sneaks in and insidiously takes over but uh, if we are really listening to the teachings and using the teachings skillfully then we find a way that, that intention uh, can be can be made direction can be given to our, our efforts to our lives effort can be made work can be done completely free of, of self-view and eye making and mind making so that there can be the aspiration uh, for that, that quality of insight and uh, that spiritual maturity that spiritual turning point to be reached without that being influenced by by conceit by self-view by eye making and, and mind making and then that that aspiration then becomes something that is, is joyful uh, it's uh, energizing joyful and encouraging in, in our life rather than being a like another goal that i've got to achieve and uh, i've got to i've got to get uh, and then as soon as i am is in the picture then dukkha suffering is in the picture too so uh, the um i encourage the aspiration but uh, uh, i also encourage that aspiration to be let's say not distorted or confused uh, overlaid by the the habits of eye making and mind making and then it'll really be able to uh, bring about uh, and lead to that genuine liberation and uh, that uh, the path will be uh, clear and open for that that liberation to be to be realized without creating more dukkha along the way so i offer these thoughts for consideration this evening <laughs>